Yeah, as Brogan said, my name is Mim. Um, uh, I've discovered in life that I kind of carry around Mims wherever I go. So obviously, Mim Johnson. Um, I was once called the second best Mim in Durham when I lived there. Um, I'll let you guys decide which order me and Mim come in. <laughs> um, and yeah, I've been part of St. Thomas's for about two years now. Um, and for those of you who, who don't know me, um, I have the privilege in my sort of nine to five of being a children's and family social worker in uh, an absolutely beautiful but totally bizarre part of this region um, in a place called Middlesbrough. Um, and I absolutely, some of you are laughing because you've been there or you know people. <laughs> um, and I, I love what I do. I love the people. I love the children, I love the families I work with. It's an absolute pri privilege um, and one I don't take lightly to be part of their, their lives and for me to um, be, yeah, like I said, part of their lives and to be welcomed in, into their home in, in some sense. Um, and I felt since leaving university this, this call to do this, um, but it doesn't necessarily make that call easy. And I, I found as I've, I've journeyed with Jesus um, that it's much like that um, for the call he places on each one of, it, each one of our lives. Um, and what, what I want to do this morning is, is explore that idea of, of calling a little bit further. And this idea of calling is, is much of what we've looked at in this series, this Multiply series. Um, and as I've looked back through, as I've thought about more of this series, I've, I've found it quite helpful to sort of categorise them into what sort of I've categorised as the what, the how, the who, and, and where I'm heading today, which is, is the where. So we kicked off with Joel looking at the what. What is this call of Jesus? Um, and Joel took us through what it means to participate in this call, in the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion, um, to make disciples of all nations. And then Ben led us in the how. How do we do this? Looking at how can we share the story of Jesus with those we come into contact with. And then Ben again, because people were ill, looked at who, um, and he talked about the power of God. In his power and by his power, this call to multiply is, outwork, is outworked. And that leads us um, to today. It leads us to where I've been asked to talk about, um, which I've, I've sort of seen as the where. Where is Jesus calling us as a church and us as individuals to multiply? Where is he calling us? And this passage we're gonna look at today is, is from a part in the Bible called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and, it, and it's in Matthew. And this, the Sermon on the Mount looks at the call Jesus places on his disciples, the people who follow him, the people who call him Lord. It looks at what it's like to follow him with our whole lives, with our whole selves, and it outlines how to do this. Um, and the bit we're looking at this morning comes just after what is known as the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, you know, you should definitely, definitely read them um, after this, it's a declaration of what the kingdom of God is going to look like, a kingdom that is totally different from the world in which Jesus was speaking into, totally different from the world in which we find ourselves. And Jesus here in, in this passage is, is saying this, the knowledge of this kingdom, what I've just taught my disciples, go, this is what it is to do next and we're going to look at this passage and it's in Matthew 5 verse 13 to 16 and it says this it says you are the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of this world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And this is the idea of where. Where are we called to? And there are two things that Jesus calls his people in this passage that helps answer that question for us. Jesus calls us salt and Jesus calls us light. Light, you are the light of the world, Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say you are the light of the church and that's a good thing, that's a really good thing. For most of us here, me included, I don't spend the majority of my time in these four walls. And this passage is an encouragement that the most impact that we can have as people who follow Jesus happens when we leave this room. We sit here as a collection of individuals that gather, we gather in the church to scatter, to scatter into the city and across this region, making an impact wherever we show up. And where we show up is in our communities, in our workplaces, in our universities, in our schools and in our families. We're called into the world. And secondly, we are salt. Jesus says, you are the salt of this earth. And the imagery that he's using here is a call to be distinct. It's a call to be enduring like salt that lasts, to be set apart, to be disciples in this world, but to not lose our distinct flavor within it. Salt and light, in other words, we're called to be in the world, but we're called not to be of it. And I wanna unpack that a little further. So we're looking at light um, and it says in this, in this passage, it says a town or, or a light on a hill cannot be hidden. Um, and I, I did run this, past, this story past Ben and he said, it's, ah, it's fine as long as you don't mind it being live streamed. And I just thought about it for a second and thought, ah, go on then. <laughs> and I, I learned this idea of a town, a light cannot be hidden um, on a hill in, in quite a hard way. Um, I was invited when I was about 15 to a Christian festival. I wasn't, I wasn't a Christian at the time had some friends who'd been going to one of the local youth groups and they invited me along and we were camped we were we were asked to camp in in brown four which in hindsight kind of gives you an idea of what's to come um, and I felt like at the time I was 15 and, and life was not fair and I felt like we'd sort of drawn the short straw in terms of campsites we were miles away from everything um, and the tent sort of surrounded what can only be described as sort of a mound that had, I don't know if you guys have, have ever been to these kind of camping places where it's just had like porter showers and porter toilets sort of like as the focal point towards this campsite Brown for. And I found myself one night needing a shower uh, and the queue was long um, and it was directed towards three of these cubicles and one of the cubicles didn't have a queue towards it. So me being sort of the cocky 15 year old I was at the time, thought, well, I'm not gonna skip this queue and I'm gonna go into this port a shower that's sort of empty um, and I went in and there was sort of a sort of sludge of sort of a puddle and I just thought ah, I'll just step over that it's absolutely fine sort of got dressed um, and I thought oh gosh it really smells in here uh, <laughs> anyway I had a shower and I realized that there was this tiny little radiator and I don't know what sort of came over me but I sort of looked behind it and I was like oh there's something behind it anyway so as I peered I sort of pulled out what can only be described as a nappy bag of human poo. Yeah, 
I got so like concerned and just was like, what have I found? That I flung open the door because there was only a tiny bit, threw this nappy bag of human poo into the crowd, at which point realized I was absolutely stark naked. <laughs> The door swings back. Anyways, I thought, it's all right, I'll never see these people again. I became a Christian at that festival that year and thought, oh, I'm going to see them in heaven. But anyways, I thought, I thought I'd got away with it. I thought I got away with it. But I sort of scuttled back into the campsite with the youth group. And it was at the point where I rejoined the youth group. And the lad that sat next to me just said, was that you? <laughs> and I thought it was in that moment that I learned this most important lesson, not the most important in this passage, but a port shower light on a hill cannot be hidden. <laughs> and I, I recognize this is a bit of a funny way to sort of demonstrate this concept of light, but it, it's true, isn't it? Um, a light cannot be hidden. And we see this further in the passage when Jesus describes a lamp. The lamp is, is not put under a bowl. Instead, the lamp is put on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. It gives light to everything it touches. And this is the role Jesus says that we are to have in people's lives. We are to be the light and the light of Jesus to all that we come into contact with. And, and we see in this passage two steps for us as the people of God as to how we're to be this light in the world. Firstly, the passage says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. God says that we are the light of this world. And I don't know if you're, if you're anything like me, it can be easy to hear this and then straight away discount ourselves you might hear this and think yep that call is for this person or this person because they're like this or this but Jesus that call isn't for me but Jesus is saying you are the light of this world each and every one of us is the light of this world and it's not just a call for the person to the left or the person to the right of us it's a call for each and every one of us and what God does is he's given each and every one of us gifts and skills and abilities to bring about his light and his life to the places that we find ourselves. Um, my favourite line in, in any film comes from a film called Chariots of Fire, which some of you guys might know about. And it's a, it's a story about this guy, this sprinter, Scottish sprinter, sprinter called Eric Liddell. Um, and he's really famous for refusing to run um, in the heats of the Olympics because it was run on a Sunday. And he said, nope, I'm not doing that because um, he was a Christian. And there's this moment in the film where he says this, he says, says, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And I love that because it reminds me that God made each and every one of us uniquely. And he made each and every one of us to represent and glorify God in different ways. And I'm not going to know all of those ways. I probably won't know all of the ways for myself, but I ask God, what is it that you've given me? What is it that he's given us as a church? to go and glorify him. And part of our calling to be light in this world is to recognise what God has given us, recognise what it is that we've got in our hands to bring about light in this world. And, and we're not gonna see real change in our region and in our city if we hide this light from the world, if we hide the truth of, of Christ, the gifts that he has given us or the difference that he's made in our lives. As Ben said, we are to tell people about what Jesus has done in our own life. We're not to hide that away from the world. And the second step of being light in the world that we see in this passage is where it says, instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. See, in the first part about this lamp, it says that the lamp isn't under the bowl. But the second challenge we see in this, 
is that the lamp also isn't put in an already lit room. It's practically pointless. If we lit a light in this room, it's pointless. What does it bring? And the call here becomes to be the light in a place where light isn't already. And this is a call from Jesus to step into the darkness, to step into the places where bringing about his light and his life and his goodness is most effective and most important. Um, I have a friend called Paul. I call him Saint Paul because basically if it breathes, he will tell it about Jesus. Um, And Paul tells this story of a time he was sat on a tube um, and he was sat there and this this guy gets on with headphones and and he feels sort of the gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit to tell this man about Jesus. Um, And and Paul sits there and, and he's sort of saying to himself, no, no, Jesus, I'm not doing that. Not today, it's busy on the tube, I'm not doing that. Uh, And again, he feels this nudge from Jesus, tell him about me. And Paul says, no. What I'll do is if you show me a sign, I'll tell him about about you. And this guy sat there with his headphones and he starts singing the lyrics. I wanna know what love is. I want you to show me. And Paul sits there and Paul tells the story of, of how this guy got off the tube and he did nothing. And I don't tell this story to sort of shame Paul. Paul has led so many people, more people than I've ever known, by one guy being led to Jesus. Um, But when I first heard this story, I was moved by the challenge that it was to me. Because I probably would have sat there too. And we live in a broken world, don't we? I see that clearly in my, my day job, day in and day out. And I know that you guys, for you, will have, will have aspects that you see that too. We only have to switch on the news as well to see that, you know, what Brogan prayed just there. We live in a world that's crying out, I want to know what love is. And we cannot just sit by, we cannot just sit there. We have to show the world that love. And this passage is an encouragement to show the light of Christ to a world crying out that it wants to know what love is and it wants us to show them. As Christians today, we live in what is known as the now and the not yet, and we stand in that gap, balancing the knowledge of the promises of what is to come with the reality of what isn't there yet. And this is an incredibly difficult place to sit. But the yes to truly sitting in that place, to saying our yes to Jesus, to sit in the darkness whilst working to bring about his light will totally change your life if if you let it. Why? Because it's a place of total reliance on Jesus. When there is no more of yourself to be found, there Jesus is. And I see that in my own situation. Some days, you know, I look back on the last week, some days I only have to put my shoes on and I've kind of got to the end of myself. And I say, Jesus, come. Jesus, lead me into what is to come in my day. Being honest, most days, most weeks, I find myself in a place of darkness, face to face with me, and I'm I'm totally called out of my comfort zone. I'm totally at the end of anything that I can do. And the only thing... The the only thing that I can do is bring Jesus into those situations. Um, 
we were at a worship night last a couple of weeks ago uh, and the night coin, coincided with probably the, the worst day I've, I've had in my career in, in, a, in a long time um, and I arrived totally exhausted by the day's events uh, and we sang this lyric in this song when I survey um, the chorus. and we sang this lyric um, did air such love and sorrow meet and I remember being sat there thinking back on the day and just being so deeply moved by this, so deeply moved by the example of Jesus and where he was found. I just thought to myself, that's it. That is what we're called to do, to be amongst and in the midst of great sorrow, to bring about great love, to bring about God's light and God's love to a world that's so desperate to experience it. And the question then on our lives becomes, are we gonna say yes to that? Will you say yes to that calling? And that calls us out of comfortable Christianity that I so often fall into. And instead it calls us to pursuing a life of absolute surrender that breaks into the darkness with laughter and with love and with peace and justice and says, this is the light and the life that Jesus brings. And so we're called to be light in this world, but the second part of this passage is that we're also called to be salt of the earth. And Jesus telling us by doing so is reminding his people that no matter what, no matter what the world might throw at us, even if that means facing the darkness, we are not to be of this world. We're not to let that compromise who we are and who we are called to be. And that's a statement of truth. And more specifically, the truth of God's word and the call to live that out in our lives. No matter what we face, Jesus calls us to be truth bringers who are not affected or compromised by the world or what the world's version of truth is. And, and the world's version of truth is, is messy, isn't it? I've done a massive deep dive recently into sort of deep fake images that artificial intelligence is sort of bringing to the surface. And the world is asking in these moments, what is true? What is right? What can I believe and what has integrity? And we as Christians have that, don't we? We have the truth because we know God and we know his scriptures and we know what life he's calling us into. And, and Jesus in this passage warns against what is to happen if we compromise on those values and we compromise on our faith. It says, but if salt loses its saltiness, how then can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Um, and as part of my preparations for this talk, I also did a deep dive on how salt actually loses its saltiness. Is this just a rhetorical question or can it actually happen? And it turns out that salt only becomes less salty when it changes its, its chemical makeup. And the only way it does this is when it's added to water. And that's a challenge to us, isn't it? In what Jesus is saying, salt only loses its saltiness when it's diluted. And it's a call to us, isn't it, to think about the areas of our own lives, the areas of my life where I might have diluted the truth of Christ. And that might look different for each and every one of us, and it will do. For me, my dilution often looks like, if I'm honest, wishing that aspects of the Bible that I read just weren't there. So what I do is I pretend that they're not and I try to ignore them. I have a tendency to try and ignore them, like I said, 
And I find myself falling into what we see in Genesis when the enemy says, did God really say? For me, as someone who puts their worth, I was talking to Ben about it so much in, in achievements and doing, did God really say that I'm to take a Sabbath rest? Ah, maybe not this week. Did God really say that I'm to give away my earnings? Did he, did he really say that? Did he really say that I'm to love my enemies when they're shouting at me? Did he say that? And for some of you here, maybe dilution looks like caring more about what others think, holding more onto what their version of the truth is than what you know to be the truth of God. Maybe ignoring friends when they ask, what is it that you've done at the weekend? And you don't want to tell them that you were at church. For each and every one of us, there'll be aspects of our lives that don't match up to the call of God to be salt of the earth. And the current cultural moment that we find ourselves in most likely means that we're gonna be challenged to hold fast to the truths and the values of God. There will be times when this world is going to ask us to compromise on what we know to be true and what is revealed to us in the scriptures. But the call of God that we see here and that Jesus declares over us is to hold firm to his truths, to be salt of the earth, to preserve his truth and to be set apart, to be distinct in this world. And in doing so, we represent Christ to the world. People see us and they think there's something different there. There's something more that I want to experience. And, and where I kind of want to end is that I'm, I'm saying this and, and I'm seeing it in my own life and recognizing that this isn't as easy as someone just standing up and saying, we're to do this. This call to be salt and light in this world is, is, is difficult. Um, and as we've explored, it's a call into the darkness of this world and it's a call to do that, but to hold on to the truth and integrity of Christ within us. And it's really easy to feel overwhelmed because it's not an easy task. And I wanna land with this encouragement that we go with the one who's gone before us. We've referenced the example of Jesus earlier, the best example, the best example of what it means to be salt and light in this world is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, the ultimate display of a light on a hill that cannot and will not ever be hidden, where such love and such sorrow met. Jesus is the perfect example of what it means to step down into a world of darkness to bring about light, a light which brings truth and a light that by which gives light to all it touches, that light and life of Jesus. And that is ultimately where our hope as, as Christians, as people who follow Jesus, that's where our hope rests. It, it doesn't rest in the fact that we will never get this wrong, um, that we won't hide our light under a bowl, that we won't risk losing our saltiness, because we will. No, our, our hope lies in the fact that when we step out, when we say yes to this call of God, God in all of his grace goes with us. And he says, I'll never let you go. I have a, a beautiful godson who, if, if you've known me for five minutes, you've probably heard me talk about. Um, his name is Theo. Uh, and not long ago, his mom sent me a little video of Theo with his dad in the sea. Uh, and Sam and Theo were holding hands, jumping in the waves, laughing. Uh, and I was reminded for Theo, the strength and the security for him in that situation doesn't come from his ability to hold on to his dad. 
It comes from his dad's ability to never let him go. And Sam is never gonna let go of his son. And, and in the same way, as, as we reach out and we hold on to Jesus as he calls us, as we say yes to this call of putting our confidence in him, our confidence doesn't come from our ability to hold on, though it's important to hold on. It comes from God's ability to never let us go. He will never leave us on our own in this. And in times when this call feels all too much, this is the place that we have to come back to, back to our perfect father at the foot of the cross where Jesus won it all. And that, that is enough, that's enough. And it's from that place that Jesus calls us. And it's only from that place that Jesus calls us. And as a church, this call to be salt and light in the world and this call to live that out with Jesus matters. We see why at the end of this passage, Jesus says, people will see you and they will know me. They may see your good deeds and they will glorify your father in heaven. And I, I wanna sort of end by asking this question. Um, just as the band sort of rejoins me. Um, what would happen if we actually let this call to be salt and light change the way we live our lives? What would happen? What would happen if, if Christians were called to the darkest places of this world to bring about the light that we carry through Jesus, reflecting truth and integrity in every sphere of life? you know, those called into politics? What would happen if they kept the vulnerable, the most vulnerable of our society at the heart of their decisions? If nurses and doctors reflected Jesus in the kindness, giving dignity to people on their most vulnerable days? If parents raising children in the way of Jesus, reflecting the father heart of God to their own children, but also to others whose earthly fathers perhaps couldn't do that for them? What would happen if social workers saw people as children of God who treated parents and people caught up in cycles of addiction with complete and utter dignity and respect as Jesus would? What would happen if midwives who brought every little life into this world prayed over them, prayed that they too would go out and be light and salt on the earth? What would happen if teachers were role models to people that might not have anyone else to look up to? What might happen if friends stuck by each other Friends said to another friend in their darkest moments, I'm gonna love you back to life. And I'm gonna show you what it means to have life and life in all its fullness because I know what it means because of Jesus. Wherever we show up, what would salt and, earth look, um, salt and light look like to the earth in that place? So just as we end, um, Jesus calls us as we've discussed, to be salt and light in the world. It's a call to be in the world, but not be of it. And that's really important. And so then our, our response to ask ourselves, as I've been thinking on this, is, is twofold. Firstly, you know, are there areas of your life that are stopping you from living out this calling? Are there areas that you know of that are diluting your saltiness? Areas where you're hiding the light of Jesus? 
And is Jesus calling you out of that way of living, out of a way of living for the world and into a way of living for him instead? Or secondly, maybe you're sat here and you can think of areas or people that you know that Jesus is calling you to, that you know that maybe you've just sat by and you've thought someone else will do that, Jesus, or I don't want to do that. And maybe you know that there's, there's something that you need to do in, in stepping out and committing to walk with Jesus into those parts, into those parts of this world. Maybe Jesus is asking you in this moment of response that we're going to have afterwards for surrender, to let go, let go of the things that might be holding us back from living out this calling, to hold on to him in the knowledge that he is never going to let us go and live in total surrender because of what he did for us, what he won for us on the cross. And as Brogan and Lee comes join me um, and as the band start to play, I'd like that to be where our response is. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. You're called to be set apart, to be distinct. And Jesus says you're the light of this earth. And that's a call into something. We're not the light of this church, as brilliant as it is. We're the light of this world. And Jesus says, go.